Amen. How many of you love taking naps? It's always, it's always good. And, uh, this is something I, I read a long time back, and it just came to, it came to my mind. And it's, it's about someone who was asked the question. The question was, I've heard that cardio exercise can prolong life. Is this true? To which a person replied, your heart is only good for so many beats in a lifetime. Don't waste them on exercise. (laughs) Everything wears out eventually. Speeding your heart rate will not make you live longer. That's like saying you can extend the life of your car by driving it faster. If you really want to live longer, take a good nap. Amen. You know, how many of you will agree with me that this is so true in my life too, that sometimes a lot of our excuses are just meant to justify us not doing something. Yeah. It's something we really do not want to do and we make a lot of excuses and we use good logic to get to that. You know, and we really, logical arguments not to do something or, you know, it may be, may be different from what we do or it may be inconvenient and uh, we just don't want to be bothered to do it, you know. And so sometimes we, or sometimes we're just scared to do something and we make excuses. And I always think of Moses sometimes, you know, and God, he's just met God in a burning bush that's not being consumed and he makes excuses sometimes. I'm not faulting him because... I would be scared and intimidated too, but I want to challenge us. Challenge us this morning. As we take a look at, a, at, the, life, at the life of a young man who has really had a tremendous impact on my life and also uh, the life in, in the time of, I mean, his story encourages me. And also, he had a big impact in the, in the history of Israel as such. And many times I've compared this young man Uh, To the story of David. To David. Because like David, he was also a young man. David was a young man. And God took him from a real insignificant thing that he was doing. An insignificant start. And God took him and made him the leader of the nation. And I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about one of the judges in Israel. Gideon. His name is Gideon. And I know many of you know his story. But I want to go through his story and see how his story, yes, there are similarities with uh, Gideon and David, but there are also some differences. But I just want to look at his story once again. And the story is found in Judges chapter 6. And I'm just going to go through a story with you this morning. Judges chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 6. And uh, just keep the chapter open, put your finger in there and just leave it open. We'll be going through several verses as we go through the sermon. Now the period of Judges is, is considered by many people, the period of Judges is considered by many people as the darkest period in Israel's history. The darkest period in Israel's history because Israel really didn't have a king. You know, and when you come, by the time you come to uh, Judges, you realize what's happened because Moses, we know Moses has let them out of Egypt. 
They've gone through the Red Sea. They are right, ready to get into the promised land. And of course, then Joshua takes over. Joshua takes over and he leads them into the promised land. And we know Joshua's challenged them right at the end. In Joshua 24, he says, hey, I don't know about you guys, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he gives them the choice. And guess what happens? The Bible says that once that generation kind of, uh, that generation kind of dies off. The people of Israel, they're so, they're, I mean, they're blessed beyond measure. They're enjoying the fruit of this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But soon enough, they forget God. And they repeat a cycle time and time again that we see in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is just uh, written, uh, which, uh, and you see the cycle that's repeated all, uh, all the time. Because you have this cycle of, you know, they're having prosperity and enjoying God's blessings. But they fall into sin, you know, they disregard God, turn away from God and whatever it is. And they fall into sin and because of their sin, they fall into judgment. And they're punished. There's judgment, different people come and conquer them. But as soon as they are punished and they begin suffering, they call out to God and they repent. And what happens? God sends up and that's when he raises up a judge, basically. God raises up someone and then because of the repentance, God raises up someone and then they're delivered and they go back to a time of prosperity. But soon enough, what happens? They fall back like history repeats itself. You know, they enjoy the prosperity. They forget God. They fall into sin. Then there's judgment. Then they all cry out and repent. And then there's deliverance again and prosperity. And so they go through this cycle time and time again. And you see, by the time you get here to uh, Judges chapter 6, they have actually been suffering for like 43 years, 40 to 50 years actually, by the time they come to the story of Gideon here. 43 years and they're like four cycles that we see all this uh, in this time. And Judges chapter 6 verse 1 it says again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crop, the Midianites, the Melekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped out, uh, they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, uh, living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished Israel that they cried out to the Lord for help. And so here in this part in Judges uh, 6, you see especially the first six verses, you're talking about the Midianites being there. And uh, the first part as such, it's basically God's discipline that you see that's happening right here. It's God's discipline. We know what God talks about discipline when he says, when he says, you know, in Proverbs 3, 11, 12, he says, my son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. Because the truth is this, and I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon says, God does not permit his children to sin successfully. I thought it was really good. 
In Judges, if you read Judges 17 verse 6, it says they did what was right in their own eyes. Judges 21, 25, again it says they did what was right in their own eyes. So you have this group of people who are doing their own thing and God comes and disciplines them. And the truth about discipline is this. Discipline in our lives is evidence of God's hatred for sin and his love for us. Because he loves us, he disciplines us. As parents, we understand this concept a lot more. We got to discipline our kids because we love them. And God does that to the nation of Israel because he wants the best from them. He wants them and us to conform to the likeness of his son. And that's why he disciplines us sometimes. We hate that, right? But that's the way God does. That's one of the ways God shows his love for us. We don't like to talk about it. But that is one of the ways he shows his love for us. By disciplining us. And here in this story, God is using uh, the Midianites at this time. He's using the Midianites to kind of, they bring, uh, they come and destroy basically everything Israel has. But he's using them as his rod of discipline, if you want to call that. Where they come in and they take over the land. They basically take over the whole land. The Israelites work hard to grow this harvest and, you know, everything. Just when it's ready for harvest, what happens? All these people come in and they take over. And what happens to the Israelites? The Bible says they've got to run into the mountains, clefts, caves, and strongholds. And that's where they got to stay. Because they come in and take everything from these people. And finally in verse 6 it says what? The Midianites so impoverished the Israelites. Another translation says the people of Israel would reduce to grinding poverty. And because of that they cried out to the Lord. Finally when things get so bad. They cried out to the Lord. So you see the Lord's discipline in the first six verses. You see God's discipline. The second part, starting from verse 7, you see what God's response was to this situation. When they cried out to God, God, of course, hears their cry. God sends them a prophet. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian... He sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And this is the key part here. But you have not listened to me. How many of us love to hear someone tell us, you did not listen to me. I wish you had listened. We don't like that. The problem is, and the truth is, I've met a number of people who are going through a tough time. And I go and talk to them and I don't say you should have listened or anything of that sort. They said, oh, he's going to come and preach to me. I'm like, what else can I do? I got God's word. All I can do, I can't give you my wisdom. All I can do is go to God's word and show you what God wants you to do. Oh, I don't want you to preach to me. I need something to help me out. I'm like, no. Till God works in your heart, he's not going to work in your circumstance. He's got to do his work in your life first before he changes the things around you. We get it so messed up. We think if everything changes, then we'll change our lives. We, we set the conditions very often. 
God, if you are really real, do this and then I will follow you. No, the Bible says, follow me and then I will fix everything, right? And that's his problem. That's their problem. And that's what he tells them. Hey, you did not listen to me. But I like the part, and I've, I've said this to many people. Sometimes, you know, they got so bad, seven years of suffering, and then they finally call out to God. You know, sometimes people in a pit, but sometimes that pit has to get miserable enough before they can really call out to God. Because we enjoy the pit sometimes. And honestly, it's probably the last thing they wanted to hear because they hear they're crying out to God. They're in pain, but I love what C.S. Lewis says. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. Because he uses pain as his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He whispers to us in our pleasures but he shouts to us in our pains very often God uses pain God uses the situations in our life to get our attention and that's exactly what happens here I know it sounds harsh it sounds cruel but sometimes we do our own thing and then something really goes wrong and then God has our attention think of Jonah the only way God got his attention was where in the belly of that whale when he had nothing else to do right and God does that sometimes. He wants to get our attention. I have a very good friend of mine who's, who actually was a real pro soccer player. I mean, if you had like how you have the major league soccer here. He was a really good soccer player in India. Really, really good soccer player. Did his, and he was really good. I'm on, I'm on the top three uh, paid soccer, I mean paid soccer players. You know what I mean. And then finally, I met him when he came to, uni- uh, came to seminary with me. And he told me, Sid, I had a wreck finally and I broke my leg. And when I was lying down in the bed, all I could do was lie flat and look up. And that's when I realized I could really talk to God again because he was trying to get my attention. Now, I, I know God's not going to do that every time. Break a leg so that we can get, he can get our attention. And this guy went back to playing soccer and everything else. But he says something like that had to happen in my life for God to get my attention. Now, God's not going to do that every time. We better start listening and seeking him before that happens. But if he needs to, he loves us enough to do that so that we can get, I mean, he can get our attention. And it's kind of interesting. If you look here, you don't see any sign of repentance, actually, with the Israelites. They're crying out to God, but there is no real. The Bible never really tells us that they really repented as such. But you see, God's patience and God staying true to his promise towards Israel. And so you see the situation. That's the background. And then you come to verse 11. Verse 11, it says, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezirite. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. This is the first time we're introduced to our, and I call this sermon, the unlikely hero. Because when you consider the man Gideon, the first time we meet him, what's he doing? He's threshing wheat in a wine press. And you look at it and he says... He's not really that picture of strength and courage and 
He's hiding in a wine press threshing wheat. Normally when you thresh wheat, you do it in the open air because you want the wind and the breeze to take, you know, take separate the wheat and the chaff as such. Not in a wine press in a corner where everything is quiet, but we know what he's doing there. He's scared. He's hiding from the Midianites. This is not the picture of a courageous man as such. It's a picture of a defeated man, discouraged man, if you want to call it. And that's why you separate him. That's why he's different from David. Yes, David had a very inconspicuous start as a shepherd boy. And God made him king. But you see that Gideon, even though he started at the same, like totally nobody even knew about Gideon. But we see he lacked. He wasn't like David. He didn't have the courage like David did. I mean, David had the courage to take on a lion. He had the courage to take on a bear. And when Goliath came along, he says, who is this guy who's defying God? He had that kind of confidence. Willing to take on a giant, but this guy had doubt. Gideon had doubt. He was hiding. I wouldn't call him a coward, but he was fearful. He was not bold as such. He lacked confidence. And the biggest thing is he had a lot of doubt. A lot of doubt. So here he is threshing wheat in a wine press because he's scared the Midianites would come, either kill him or take everything that he had. But that's the amazing part that God picked someone like him. God picked someone like him. God could have easily chosen the the strongest and most able-bodied man in Israel to lead them against the Midianites and give them victory. But we know that's not how God works. Thank God for that. That's not how he works. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says what? But God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things to shame the strong. That's how God works. Luke 1.52.53. It says he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty handed. In 1 Samuel, you see the people are looking for a warrior trained in military skills who would have the courage to fight a giant Goliath, but God sent them a shepherd boy with a staff, a sling, and all he needed was one stone. The people were tired of the Romans. They wanted a Messiah, the new king of the Jews, but they were looking for him in the wrong place. They were looking to the palace. God sent him in a manger. They wanted a king to save them and sit on the throne in Jerusalem. But God's plan to rule was by hanging on a cross. They wanted him to rule with a firm hand. But he chose to rule with an outstretched hand with nail scars in them. God never works the way we think he's going to work. He never acts the way we want him to act. Because it really defies what people assume is common sense. Because it really defies logic, if I can say that. But that is what our God is about. That is what our God is about. And I know many of us get frustrated because God acts in a way that we don't expect Him to act sometimes. Rather, we expect Him to do something, but He does something else. And we get so frustrated with God. We want God to act a certain way and do something in our time. But that's not the God whom we serve, really. We're just saying, you are our king. You can't tell your king what to do. All you got to do is trust him. He knows what's good for you. Amen. God doesn't always do it. Just think about it. All the way back, Joshua's time. You want to conquer a city, he tells you to walk around a wall and shout. How is that going to help? But that's the way our God works. 
That's the way our God works. Church, especially, especially in today's world, especially in today's world, fight the urge to tell God what to do. Because we are so egocentric in the world we live in right now. It's all about me, my, and everything about us. Fight the urge, even within the church, to tell God what to do or what suits you best. God rarely works, rarely works according to our wisdom. Thank God he chooses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks. The truth about special people is not because they're special. It's because God calls them. That's why they become special. Very rarely does God call special people to do something. They become special because they're obedient and listen to what God has to say. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and see what he says in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I can totally see Gideon looking around for the mighty warrior. Who are you talking to? I can totally see that. Here he is hiding. And here someone shows up and he says, hey, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And then you notice Gideon's first response when the angel says that after looking around and not finding anybody else. You're talking to me. And then he says, verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring you up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. I wish I could unpack this in more detail, but that's a whole nother topic. But it is such a natural question to ask when we go through a hard time. God, where are you? Where is God? Where is God in this? But the truth is and will always be, he's been there all the time. He's been there all the time. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't given up on you. He is with you. I've had a number of people, again, sit in my office or wherever we meet them. They said, Pastor, I've been living for God. Why is this happening to me? And I'll be the first one to say that I don't really understand why everything is happening. But I really believe that there is a purpose behind everything that happens to us. That there is a purpose and we just, and I just reassure them of God's love and God's presence. We will never really understand the mind of God, at least not on this side of eternity. Once we pass it, then we seem to understand things a lot better. But we will never really understand the why everything that happens to us really happens to us. And a song that I want us to hear this, this morning is a song that has ministered to me many times. It's a song called Blessings by a singer called Laura Story. How many of you have heard that song? A few of us. I want us to play that song right now. And I think the words are on the screen to go with it too. And I want us to listen to what the words say. That song is such a powerful song. And if you know their journey, the young couple who... And she's a musician. She's been writing, if most of us know, Chris Tomlin. She wrote some songs with Chris Tomlin too. And just doing and serving God. And all of a sudden, 
Her husband gets diagnosed with a brain tumor. All of a sudden, young guy gets diagnosed with a brain tumor and hits them real hard. They don't know if he's going to make it or not. And he's just has surgery, but he's just a shell of himself. And in the midst of all that, she writes this song. What if the trials in this life were just mercies in disguise? Because we're so used to praying for things to go well with our soul and everything else. And that's not a bad thing at all. But if we'd only open our eyes to see that God can use things that were so, that tear us down. God can use people who've spoken things that are so negative and we've got all depressed. God can use the situations in our life to turn it around to make us want Him more. That's the purpose of pain sometimes in our lives. I can't explain why we all go through tough times. But all I can do in times like this is explain to them and believe in my own heart that I will still trust God. Because I know He loves me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He will never abandon me. He loves me, so I trust Him. I trust that He can take the worst situation in my life and turn it around and to make it the most positive experience that I can ever have. All we got to do is trust in Him. Gideon asked this question, where is God? And I don't know the situations that you all are in right now. And I don't make light of it. But I want to encourage you, instead of turning away from God, turn to God. Because He loves you. He loves you and He's still in control over every situation in your life. He's still in control. Gideon asked, where is God? Where is God? In all this. Church I pray we have a different understanding. When we go through tough times. That we learn to trust God. And his goodness. His faithfulness. And his love for us more. In those tough situations. Than giving up. He will never abandon us church. That's the best thing. Gideon asked the question. Where is God? And see what the answer he gets is. He really doesn't get an answer. But the angel just keeps going. The Lord turned to him and said, go, verse 14, the Lord said to him, uh, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength uh, you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. To which the angel replies in verse 16, the Lord answers, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Like what it says, actually the Hebrew gives a different, paints a better picture, I feel. Where it says, literally it says, the Lord turns and looks into his eyes and replies. The Lord turned and looked right into Gideon's face, basically, when he replies. And I'm glad God sees things very differently than the way we see things. Because very often we look in the mirror and what do we see? We see our faults, we see our failures, all our flaws. And the truth is, sometimes we have this very low opinion about our own self. But thank God, He doesn't see me the way I see me. Thank God, He doesn't see me that way. Hallelujah. Humility is, 
not thinking too high of yourself and that is good but low self esteem is bad because all it does is pull us down and pull us down make us depressed and discouraged but church it doesn't matter what others think about you all that really matters is what god thinks about you Amen. what god thinks about you and this is the truth the only way you will know what god thinks about you is how oh read the word of god you probably hear me say this once every sunday but there is no substitute to the word of god amen you can have a low self opinion about yourself and everybody else but the truth is when you read god's word and realize that he created you in his image you will learn to look at yourself a little differently amen what does his word say about you and i've made a list just from the new testament here i've only the new testament please listen to me cuz some of us have a very unhealthy image about ourselves and we need to really reframe our understanding by allowing the truth of god's word to take a grip of our hearts what does his word say just in the new testament john 1:12 it says you are my child john 15:15 it says you are god's friend John 15:16 it says you have been chosen to bear fruit. Romans 5:1 says you have been justified. Romans 8:1 says you are free from all condemnation. Romans 8:35 says you will never be separated from the love of God. 1 Corinthians 6:20 says you belong to God. Ephesians 1:1 says you are a saint by God. Ephesians 1:5 says you have been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 2:10 says you are God's workmanship. Philippians 3:20 says you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Colossians 1:14 says you have been redeemed and forgiven by God. Colossians 2:10 says you are complete in Christ. Amen. I am complete in Christ. That's the God we serve and that's who he says we are. Amen. We are complete in him. Complete in him. God knows who you are even if you don't know and don't believe who you are. Just don't believe the lies your mind tells you or what people tell you. God God looks at you very differently. And I thank God he looked at Gideon very differently. Church you need to know who you are in Christ because your identity in Christ will see you through the toughest situations in life. Gideon's view of himself was shaped by the circumstances he was in. When the angel said mighty warrior he wasn't talking about a situational truth he was talking about a positional truth. a position who god thought he was god gideon failed to realize that god and him made a majority he failed to realize that with god he was more than a conqueror he failed to realize that the, that even with man it's impossible but with god all things are possible we need to get our identity from god if god is for us who can be against us what an amazing verse Bring it on devil. God is with me. Amen. Do your worst. God is with me. Church we need to get out of the Gideon mindset sometimes. Cuz we've been held too long by these chains that lie to us. 
you need to look at the mirror. What's that mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all, right? Next time you look at yourself in the mirror, tell yourself you are a child of God. Amen. That he sent his son who shed his blood just so that you could live and live abundantly. That's the life he has promised. Know who you are in Christ. Church, know who you are in Christ. God, please understand the story of Gideon is amazing. But God doesn't call all of us to take on an army. And it's okay to be scared like Gideon. It's okay to be scared. But don't be scared to do nothing. Know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. God doesn't call everybody to a big ministry like Gideon to lead the nation of Israel. God is calling us to be faithful to the things he has called us to do already. I told you and I challenged you last week. My friend was here a couple of weeks back. And he went home and he got in trouble. But people on Sunday still came to church. They walk, like I said, people in his church walk over an hour. Many of them walk over an hour to get to church. What's our excuse sometimes? You got to be faithful to what God is calling you to. You can say, I'm not talented. I'm not smart. I'm the smallest person in this whole church. I'm um, Manasseh, is the smallest tribe. And I'm the least among all that. And you can keep saying that time and time again. But the, pro- the problem is, the more you say that, the more you believe it. But God has called you to way more than just looking at yourself as the runt of the family. God has called you to a bigger purpose in our lives. All we have to do is be faithful to what God has called us. Be faithful to what God has already called us. And you see what happens here in verse 16. He says, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites together. And then he keeps going on and you see how patient and we'll look at it some other time. But you see how patient God is with Gideon as he nurtures him and encourages him to fulfill his destiny to which he was called. God, I'm just one person. How can I make a difference? Let me tell you, one person can make a difference. I think of even my own country, Mother Teresa, who was there for such a long time. One nun from Albania came to India, but the whole world and the whole nation recognizes what one person did. I can give you time and time examples of people, one person making a difference. All we got to do is believe that me and God make the majority. One person can make a difference. I don't know how many of you know the story of the, what do you call it, the Colosseum? Is that how you say it? You know, and you know, but initially the Romans persecuted all the Christians, but right around 380, Christianity had taken a hold of the whole of the Roman Empire. And right around 300 AD, Christianity became the official state language. It became the official state language and everybody else, like they they were kind of, it was called a Christian nation as such, if you want to call it that way. But people still liked the Colosseum and what they had. You know, if you've seen Ben-Hur, you've seen the chariot races and everything else, right? And so all that still went on in the Colosseum. But then right around 400 uh, AD, sorry, 400 AD, uh, the Goths and a couple of other nations started attacking Rome. And the, the Roman emperor, the Caesar, whoever that was at that point of time, was a very timid emperor. 
He really wasn't. He was just a kid, basically, and he didn't do anything. But one of the generals took it upon himself to go and drive back and fight off all these guys. And he pursued them and totally destroyed these people. And in his honor, they started having this mock ceremony of a war in the Colosseum as such. And that was just the beginning because it started innocently, uh, like, like uh, you know, just celebrating victory and everything else. And then slowly it became all these animals and they started, you know, all these beasts and overcoming all these beasts and everything else. And then the gladiators started coming in. And gladiators, they were not playing with wooden spears or whatever. That was real. People started losing their lives and people around them, the crowds just kept cheering and going on and on and on. And soon enough, that's what was expected. Everybody loved to see the games because it was bloodthirsty, basically. It was a bloodthirsty crowd and it says in 403, there was one person, all of a sudden, there were all these guys, these gladiators were getting at each other, just fighting each other with these swords and people were bleeding. They both were bleeding when one man jumped in the middle of everything else. From his clothes, they recognized that he was actually a hermit who was there in that area. And he was a man of God. But people were so upset with him standing there barefooted, bareheaded, with his cloak on, that they started jeering at him and mocking him. Get out of the way, old man. Get out of the old way. Uh, Get out of the way, old man. And then soon enough, the gladiators pushed him aside and started fighting again. But he got in the middle again. And they did it again and again. And the guy, the main uh, official who was there, he says, just do away with him. And so one gladiator thrust a spear through the guy. But as soon as he did that, there was a hush in the crowd when they realized what they had really done. And that was the last fight in the Colosseum. One man who chose to stand up made a difference. There was no more fights in the Colosseum anymore. One man, and they recognize people don't even know his name. But he stood up because he believed this is what God told him to do. Paid the ultimate price, but because of that, no more bloodshed ever. All the games stopped. What can one man do? One man changed 12 people's lives. One of people actually betrayed him. 120 people in the upper room turned the world upside down. What can one person do? A person like Gideon can change the destiny of the nation. All he had to do was look at himself through the eyes of God rather than himself and see his worth through what God called him to do. That's what the story of Gideon is all about. And thank God for a story like that because many times I don't feel worth it at all. I don't feel good enough to come and preach God's word. But God reminds me that he has called me. And because he has called me, all I am called to do is obey him and trust him. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances, all we have to do is love him, trust him, trust his goodness. And he will give us the victory. We cannot live our lives in defeat anymore. We cannot live our lives with discouragement anymore. We cannot live our lives believing the lies of the enemy or what people have spoken over our lives. That curse has been broken on the cross and now you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's your inheritance. No more believing the lies of the enemy. Because we are called to a bigger purpose. Called to a bigger purpose. Gideon was an unlikely hero. But he realized soon enough, and if you keep reading the chapters in this, in this book, 
you realize the things that he did. He did it his own way. I mean, he still tested God three times, right? And God was patient with him. He went around the first time he went and did something. It was in the middle of the night. He was too scared. He went down and cut down something, you know. And everybody's mad at him. But he was okay. It's okay. Take your baby steps. But quick making excuses. Amen. Trust God that he will take care of you. Trust God that he will provide for you. Trust God that he will never put a burden on your life that you cannot bear. Trust God that when he calls you, he will equip you to do the task that he has called you to do. Amen. He will send you to a place where his grace will cover you. Call you to do something that you've probably never done before, but he will give his grace, which is sufficient for you. Amen. All we've got to do is trust in him. Trust in him. Bow your heads with me at this time. and I thank God for a story like Gideon. I always want to be like David who was like, man, give me this giant, let me get it. But the truth is I don't, like, I don't have that confidence all the time. I don't have that confidence all the time. Sometimes I am hiding in that wine press threshing wheat. Too scared to even lift my head up because I'm scared someone's going to get me. But thank God he's patient with me. Thank God he sees me for more than I see myself. And I want to challenge you. I don't know the lies that have been spoken over your life. And I don't know what the lies the enemy has filled your head with. And I don't know what you think about yourself. And you think you are not good enough. Oh, I'm not educated enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, I'm just some random guy. Let me say, God chooses the random people. And he makes them special. All you got to do is obey. If anything, we learn from Gideon's story. It's that you are totally worth. You're totally worth it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that even when we don't understand, Lord, we can still trust in you, God. We can still trust your goodness. We can still trust your love. that nothing can separate us from your love, Lord. This morning, I want to think on two parts here. First part is if you're going through a tough time in your life and you don't understand why, it's okay to ask God, God, why is this happening? God, why, Lord, I've started serving you. Why has things just got worse, God? Now that I've decided to do something, it just seems to have got worse. Why, God? It's okay to ask why, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't understand why, but let me encourage you this morning. Take a stand and trust Him. Trust in His goodness. Trust in His love. Trust in the fact that He is in control of every situation in your life. So if you're going through something so hard that you don't understand... I want you to call out to him. Call out to him this morning.
And the second group of people who've, who like Gideon have just listened and been beat down by the things the world and the things the devil has told us. I want to encourage you this morning to listen to what God has to say about you. He has called you, chosen you to fulfill a purpose way bigger, way bigger than you can even dream or imagine. All you got to realize is God and you make the majority. Let's all stand to our feet this morning and encourage you to dwell on these two thoughts right now and examine your hearts, examine your lives and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you right now. God loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you even though it doesn't seem that way. Even though it seems like it's doesn't make sense why things have been going the way they have been going. Encourage you to trust in Him. Trust in Him because what if His blessings did come as raindrops? What if His blessings and His healing came through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that He's really with us? And what if the trials of this life are actually God's mercies in disguise. Do we have the faith to stand up and say that? Thank you, God. No matter what I'm going through, I can trust in you, Lord. Thank you, God.